Awesome. If you have your Bible today, go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to bounce around from uh, chapter 12, chapter 13, and chapter 14. And I'm going to go ahead and warn you today, I will probably be pretty long. Most pastors don't warn people, but I'm going to warn you, all right? So I will try to hurry. I will try not to belabor anything, but it's going to be pretty lengthy as far as compared to normal. If you're okay with that, say, oh, yeah. All right, just seeing where I'm gauging y'all at. All right, listen, if you're taking notes today, it's called uh, In the Spirit Part 3. In the Spirit Part 3. I've said this a, a few times already, but I want to say it again. I realize what we're talking about in this series is maybe difficult for some people. It's different than what you've been taught maybe uh, for part of your life, all of your life. And uh, I want you to know that that's okay. But, you know, listen, as we as we teach this, just simply do this, just simply to open your heart up and for once don't go, OK, what does that man say or what does this man say? Say, Holy Spirit, what do you say? And, uh, you know, I just got a real simple belief. God's a big boy and God knows how to back his word up. Amen. So if there's that simple approach that we say, God, is that real? Is that true? Show me, please. Guess what? I think he will because he likes revealing himself to his people. Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray and we will dive in. Also, let me add this. If you are wanting to talk, I make myself available. Once again, not for a debate in any of this. I'm not, I'm not interested in that. But I would be interested in if there's a piece that you're wrestling with or struggling with. If you want to talk about it, I'll, I'm more than happy to make myself available for that conversation. So let's pray and we will dive in. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for everything that you've already done. But Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would come even now, God, and increase your presence in this place. And we ask that you would teach us today. Holy Spirit, we know that you are the teacher. And in your teaching, there is 100% accuracy. So, Lord, today we just pray that you would come and you would speak and you would lead and you would guide, God, and you would speak to our hearts today. Father, thank you for, for just... Coming, God, and removing every obstacle, every barrier, God, anything that would hinder you from just uh, getting to our hearts today, God, with your truth and with your revelation. And so, Lord, we give you permission today, once again, to do what you do best, and that's to change our lives and to transform us into the image of Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, listen, for the past few weeks, we've been in this series, like I said a few minutes ago, that's entitled In the Spirit. Now, the main purpose of this series has simply been to this. It's been this, to give scriptural proof that the baptism in the Holy Spirit is indeed for today. And not only is it for today, but it's also that God intended it to be something that every, every, every believer to experience. In fact, we can maybe say it like this, that there's scriptural proof to support that's God's intention, basically, for the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be the normal Christian experience. Do you get that? That he, That's his heart, his desire for it to be the normal Christian experience. We know this because of this. Let me just show you this verse. It's up on the screen. In Acts 2, chapter 39, this is what it tells us. It says, for the promise. Somebody say, for the promise. Come on, say it like you mean it. Say, for the promise. So for the promise, what's talking about there, the promise of the father that's found in Luke 24 It's found in Acts one. And it's also found in Joel chapter two. So there's several scriptures that refer to this being the promise of the father. So it says this for the promise is to you and to your children and to all. Somebody say all. So is or do we agree there that the word all is not just for a few special ones, but it literally is for all. It's for every single person that's living and breathing. Amen. And then it says, it says that, and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God would call. Not to mess with you, but just kind of prove a point. Wave your hand at me if you say, you know, I know I'm a Christian in this place. I know I've given my life to Jesus. Amen. So listen, that right there qualifies you for being all that the Lord would call. Amen. So basically that qualifies you for the promise. Now, just kind of uh, recap to kind of bring some people in. So now it's for everybody, but just kind of step back and go, okay, uh, we're on our third part. Let me tell you what we've talked about for the first two parts so we're all tracking. The first week we talked about this. We looked at the three baptisms or the three immersions that's found in the Bible. We see them in the Old Testament through the shadow and types or basically pointing to the New Testament. And then we also see the three baptisms in the New Testament. So we're going to start there in the New Testament. The first one is this, is that the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. That happens when we are born again. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. He seals our salvation at that moment. Amen. So that's, you see the scripture reference. The second baptism or the second immersion that happens in a believer's life is a disciple is baptized in water, water baptism, right? 
The third one is this, is that Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Now, remember what we talked about. There's five things, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's five common things that they talk about, and that's the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. The fourth thing is this, is that the feeding of the multitude. And the fifth thing, the fifth common denominator that's found in all uh, every one of the Gospels is simply this, that Jesus baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. Now, if you notice there, number one and number three, not only is that where people say that, you know, basically that that's not two different things. Not only does that not fit theologically, it doesn't fit grammatically, meaning simply this, that the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Jesus. And the second thing there is Jesus baptized in the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? I'm trying to go quick. Do you see that? In other words, the difference there. Yes, no, talk to me, help me out. Okay, all right, here we go. So also, basically, when you look at that, you see that same three baptisms. You see it in the Old Testament. Once again, we know that when you come to the tabernacle, right, that Moses built, when you came in the tabernacle, we know that pretty much everything in the tabernacle represents the new covenant, represents Jesus. And once again, when you come in, once you know, we know that there's only one way to the kingdom, it's Jesus. And the first thing you would come to is what? It was an altar. And at that altar is where they would shed blood. We know that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. So at that point, it's salvation. The next thing a priest would move to, he would come to a laver, which was where he would wash, which represented water baptism. And the next thing he would come to was a flask, which represented oil, which represents the Holy Spirit. And then he would enter into the presence of God. So not only do you see those three baptisms in the New Testament, if you back up, you also see in the Old Testament. I know I'm going really fast. Listen to the podcast, okay? Here we go. So I have a lot to cover, so I'm trying to move quick. All right, so in the second part of this series, we talked about how throughout Scripture, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is accompanied by a heavenly language known as tongues. Okay, listen, theologians refer to this heavenly language as the initial physical evidence or basically the manifested proof or the initial sign of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, let me make a point really quick is tongues are not the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They're evidence of it. Does that make sense? In other words, there's more to it than just that. Okay, and let me maybe say this out just so nobody's getting confused. The only thing we need to go to heaven is to be born again. Okay, simply to receive what Jesus did on the cross, right, and the resurrection to believe in that, okay? But when we come here, once again, talking about the initial physical evidence, the reason theologians say that is because there seems to be a consistent connection or consistent correlation between the spirit baptism and tongues. We see that consistent connection in these verses that we talked about two weeks ago. We saw it in Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. We saw it in Acts 8 with the new believers in Samaria. We saw it in Acts 9 with Saul, who later became Paul. We saw it in Acts 10 with Cornelius and those gathered in his house. And lastly, we saw it in Acts 19 with uh, the 12 disciples at Ephesus. There's your recap. All right. Now let's talk about what we we'll to talk about this morning. I'll slow down a little bit. Here we go. So I want to start off this morning by addressing a, a common question that a lot of people ask when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it's simply this, and I'll throw it up. It's basically when will the Holy Spirit or when will the baptism in the Holy Spirit pass away? That's a great question. When will the baptism in the Holy Spirit pass away? Listen, there's there's many that point to a scripture that's found in 1 Corinthians 13. If you're there, say, oh, yeah. So listen, they, they use a scripture here that's in 1 Corinthians 13 to prove that it passed away, that the, holy, that the baptism uh, ceased, that it ended with the apostles. But the scripture that they actually use actually shows the opposite. And I want to show that to you, okay? But let me set this up really quick. So... When you look at Corinthians 13, obviously most of us know that that's where Paul deals with love, right? But in context, these verses are really comparing that which is temporary, which are the gifts of the Spirit, and that which is eternal, which is love. Okay? And the reason love is eternal is because God is love. So no one here is saying that the gifts of the Spirit are going to last from now to ever. The, the bottom line, the scripture points out that they are temporary. But the question is, is once again, is when will they pass away? In other words, when will they expire? Okay? So let's look here at 1 Corinthians 13, looking at verse 8 through 12. It says this. It says, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. That's the temporary, right? Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. It says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. Now, here's the answer to our question. But when that which is perfect or that which is complete, that which is eternal, has come, then that which is in part or that which is temporary will be done away. 
Look at verse 11. It says, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then. Somebody say then. It says, but then face to face. And then it says, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Now, those who use this passage to prove that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all that that is involved in that arena has passed away, they point to the one word there, perfect. And they say this, that the word perfect there basically means the Bible, that, that when we got the Bible in 300, uh, I think it's like 325 A.D., when the Bible was solidified, when it was canonized, that at that point, that point, perfect came and the apostolic age ended. And so did the sign and wonders that accompanied that. But I want you to know that when you look at the scripture, you find that that train of thought is really complicated by other things that are found there. Let me show you here really quick. Notice it says this, where there's prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. And then we get to this next part that I really scratch my head on. Once again, I'm a simple fella. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. Do you see that? So once again, so it's saying here, prophecy, fail. Tongues, cease. But where there's knowledge, it'll vanish away. So let me just ask you this morning, has knowledge vanished? I mean, what a silly question, right? I mean, we just had a, a headmaster stand here and say pretty much he's trying to teach people knowledge of the Bible. Are you with me? So listen, every time that you open up the Bible, what do you receive? Knowledge. This morning, you're hearing a sermon or if you listen to a podcast, if you read a book, whatever, you receive what? Knowledge. Okay. So just in the simple fact right there that if knowledge hasn't passed away, then maybe we need to look at maybe the other ones haven't also. Simple, right? Let me show you another thing here that complicates this. It says, for we now see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Once again, simple question. Are we daily seeing God face to face? I'm not. If you are, I admire you. Okay. But no, the answer is no, we're not. Look at the next thing there. It says this. It says, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am also known. So the question is, is do we know him Just as much as he knows us. No, we don't. So when we look at this really from a uh, from a perspective, right, and just go, okay, well, what in the world is he talking about when he talks about perfect? If it doesn't mean the Bible, what does it mean? Okay, it it simply means this. That word perfect, once again, means completion. And it's talking about the completion of God's purpose. It's talking about when Jesus returns. Very simple, because the truth is, because when we are in heaven, there will no longer be a need to prophesy. There will no longer be a need for tongues. There will no longer be a, a point where we need to grow in the knowledge of God. Because why? Because we'll be standing face to face with him and we will know him exactly how we're known. Amen. And that good news. Right. So watch this. So to answer your question, when will it pass? It is this when Jesus returns. Until Jesus returns, prophecy will continue, tongues will continue, and we will continue to grow in our knowledge of God and his ways. Now, let me throw something out, kind of a fourth reason here in a broader sense. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. Listen, if Paul, being the author of 1 Corinthians, let's back up even further. Who wrote the Bible? The Holy Spirit. Okay, so we know Jesus is the word, but the Bible says that all scripture is God breathed. And we know that the Bible also says in first Peter that it didn't find its origin. In other words, the Bible never found its origin or its beginnings in man. But it was as the Holy Spirit, if you will, exhaled on the men that were writing. And all they did was write what they heard. Okay, because he is the spirit of God. He is the breath of God. So in essence, when we take a look, not only just Paul But so we'll pick on Paul because he wrote this. But back up and remember that the Holy Spirit wrote it. Okay. but if Paul knew that the baptism would end shortly after he and the other apostles died, then why did he feel it was necessary to go to great lengths to bring clarity to the gifts of the spirit to the church? I'm a simple guy. But why did he do that? Once again, if here's a guy that went to the third heaven that knew, and once again, the Holy Spirit was breathing, and he was writing as the Holy Spirit was breathing, why did he spend so much effort and so much time doing this, writing it to a church? Once again, if we believe the book is for us, we've got to believe the whole book is for us, right? Then why did he spend so much time doing that? And then we've got to ask ourselves, why did he press the issue? Talking about Paul here with the disciples of Ephesus. Why did he ask them, have you received since you first believed? Why did he press that if it was just going to die with him and a few other guys? 
then move on. Why did he tell all of us in Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit? And more importantly, why did God tell all of us to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts if we couldn't have them? God is not evil. He's not going to wave a carrot in front of our face and say, ha ha, you can't have it. Truth? Let me maybe even say this. Just kind of throw this thought out there for you. If we take a step back and we go, if communion, water baptism, great commission, and all the other things that are found in the New Testament, if they didn't pass away with the apostles, then why would the gifts of the Spirit pass away? You know, once again, you know, why do we hang on to certain parts and why do we have to go, ah, that's done? It doesn't make any sense. Once again, to reiterate, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. All right. So let me kind of throw this other thought at you before we really shift gears and talk about what I want to talk about today. Friday night as I was praying, I remembered something. Man, I haven't thought about this in, in oh, man, I, I can't remember the last time. I mean, you got to think I'm 38 years old. This happened when I was 17 years old. I told some of you guys that when I was 17, there was a Bible study that started in our uh, school. And it was at somebody's house and over 300 kids went to that Bible study at some point. And I remember one day being in, in PE in gym class and uh, my favorite class in the world other than art. Anyway, so love basketball. That was my dream to be a basketball NBA player. Uh, <laughs> that hurt. All right. So so anyways, I was in I was in PE one day and there's this kid that always always in there and he was really always to himself. He was kind of nerdy and and he, and he always carried his Bible with him everywhere he went. You got to think I remember I didn't grow up in church. And uh, but this time I started going to that Bible study and I invited him one day. Once again, my heart went out to him because he didn't have a whole lot of friends. Hey, man, why don't you come and, and come to this Bible study with us? And here's what he said. He said, I'm not going to go there because they speak in tongues there. And I was a little flabbergasted because they didn't. <laughs> out of all the times I went, remember, I told you guys my first time I was in a bedroom. Two guys were praying for me. They prayed in the spirit. But as a group, no one really ever did. And then he proceeded to tell me that tongues were of the devil. And at this time, I was not baptized in the Holy Spirit. But I had enough, I guess, practical understanding. I remember telling him this. I remember saying his name, and I can't remember what it is at this point, but I remember saying his name, and I said, you know, man, I've been in some really bad places, a lot of evil, where a lot of drugs was going on, a lot of immorality. I mean, I've been in some really sketchy, shady spots. I said, man, I've never heard anyone pray in tongues in those spots. You know, so, so, you know, I mean, so, funny. But to back up, you know, whatever, 20 years now, I think here's what I would say if I could answer that again. Because I commend the kid and I commend people that wrestle with that, you know, that say, well, it's the devil. I'm going to stay away from it. Man, I, I so appreciate your purity, appreciate your desire to serve God and all that. Nothing's wrong with that. But let's take a step back and let's think about it a little bit broader here. When you begin to read testimonies, you begin to talk to people that have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. There's common themes that those people share. One of the common themes is this, is that, that they have a greater level of intimacy than they ever had with the Lord before. Another thing they share is they say, man, there's a greater level of purity in my life than I've ever had before. You know, what I didn't tell you guys a few weeks ago when I shared Dr. Lynn's testimony is after he got saved, he still battled and wrestled with a whole bunch of stuff. He was still arguing with his wife all the time. He was still stressed. He was saved, and, and he was trying his best to do the right thing. But when he got baptized in the Holy Spirit, there was victory over every bit of that. Something shifts. Once again, that's the, anyways, it just brings a level of purity. Another thing is this. People say all the time, they say, man, I have a greater level of confidence than I've ever had before. And then they say this, man, there's greater peace. There's greater joy. There's a greater boldness, which we know that comes with being a witness. If you talk to somebody here that lives in this state, run over here and talk to somebody that lives in this state and that state and that state, they're all kind of saying the same thing. It's not like anybody's getting a memo and just repeating it like robots. In fact, I read the other day that there is 51 billion people, get that, billion people. Once again, I read this in a book. If it's wrong, blame that guy, not me. All right, 51 billion people that are around the world, that are in Pentecostal charismatic churches that believe and have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. There's another 11 billion that are in Baptist, 
Methodist, Episcopalian, Catholic, and all these different backgrounds that have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this is a common denominator of those, what's that, 62 billion people of what they're saying. That's more people than have seen Sasquatch. We've got to listen to them, okay? <laughs> See if you're awake. All right, but here's my response to that. Everybody, everybody, please, if you haven't heard anything yet, hear this, okay? If it's the devil, why would the devil ever give us something that brought us into a greater level of intimacy with God? All of those things there that are the, are the benefits of being baptized in the Spirit, the devil would never give you that. Now, can the devil imitate speaking in tongues? Yes, he can. The same way he can imitate prophecy, same way he can imitate healing, right? What do you think? Or witch doctors. Barb brought all those Haitian kids here. Well, you can't get more demonic than that country. They have people that do all of that down there. But once again, you got to remember, the enemy can never create anything. God is the creator. The devil perverts and twists it and imitates it. Are you all with me today? So the point is, is listen, God is a good God, right? He's a good dad. He's not going to give us anything that's evil. Amen? Amen. All right, we gotta, we got to move along. Here we go. All right, let's get back on point. If tongues haven't passed away, and if they're for today, and if they will continue until Jesus returns, then we got to talk about what's the purpose for them. Okay, what's the purpose? What's the purpose? Because God doesn't ever give us a gift for no reason. God's very intentional in everything he does. So he's not going to give us something and just go, well, you got it. Amen. Right? It's almost like I was, I was talking to a couple yesterday here at the church, and, you know, I was just thinking about our kid turned 16, and we, and we give him a car, Right? Can you imagine if he turns 22 and you're still holding his butt around everywhere because he refuses to use the gift that you gave him? All right. Make sense. So it's almost like this. So obviously there's gifts that God gives. And it's like, you know, if, if God gave Rob a gift of healing, well, shouldn't he probably pray for people that are sick? Well, it just makes sense. So if God's given us a gift and the gift of tongues, then surely he has a way that he wants us to use them. Okay, so we're going to talk about that. And I want to actually turn our attention to four words that's found in First Corinthians 12, verse 10. But I actually want to, for context sake, maybe not for time's sake, but context sake, I want to read First Corinthians chapter 12. Okay, I'm reading from the New King James Version. Watch this, verse 1. It says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Everybody say ignorant. The, the word ignorant, we've talked about this on Wednesday nights, but the word ignorant there actually means that he doesn't want you to be uneducated. He doesn't want you to be, even, even get this, it talks about being uneducated to the point where you sin in it. It's actually what it means. But, you know, I want to throw something else out there to you. The root word of ignorant is to ignore you know, so I think there's a side where God says, you look, I, I don't want you to ignore these things as well. Right. Because that's probably the greatest level of ignorance. Yes. Verse two, it says, you know, that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols. However, you were led. He says, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Let me just make that really simple. If you're ever around somebody that that's boogered up, deemed possessed, they cannot say Jesus is Lord. If you ask them to say Jesus is Lord, they will manifest very quickly. And we can maybe talk about that at greater lengths later, but that's in simple form what it's saying, that you cannot profess that Jesus is Lord without the Holy Ghost, okay? And this says in verse 4, here we go, let's pick it up. It says, there are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministry, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities or operations, but it is the same God who works all in all. In other words, all this comes from Him. Verse 7, but the manifestation or the revealing or the proof of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. Somebody say profit. So to understand that these gifts of the Spirit bring a profit to your life. Amen? They're not for your detriment. Verse 8, it says... For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits. And here's our words we're going to pay attention to. To another, here's the four words, different kinds of tongues. Different kinds of tongues. And then it says, to another the interpretation of tongues but one and the same Spirit, don't miss this last verse here, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to who? 
Come on, say it loud. It's tribute to who? Each one. He's talking about every believer. He's going to give each one individually as he will. So the Holy Spirit is going to give every believer a either one or a combination of those gifts. And we can talk about that on a Wednesday night. Okay? So everybody with me? All right, so let me throw a few thoughts at you before we dive in and talk about the different kinds of tongues here. Basically, this simply means that there's different manifestations or there are different purposes or different operation of tongues. And in a minute, I'll show you that there's four biblical purposes or four biblical operation of tongues. And you'll see that two of them are meant for public use and two of them are meant for private use. And unfortunately, because people have failed to recognize the different kinds of tongues, it has brought a lot of confusion, a lot of misuse, and a lot of unnecessary complication to this amazing gift. And meaning this, that because people don't understand the different kinds of tongues, once again, that there's public and that there's private purposes or uses for the gift, they unknowingly apply the rules and the regulations that are meant for public use to private use, and they misuse private use to public use. Am I making sense there? Yes. Okay, so watch this. Is basically this. Those misunderstandings, what they've done, for honest, they've robbed, they've discouraged, they've led astray really good-hearted Christians from receiving the personal benefits of this gift. And not only have they robbed people individually, but they've also robbed the local church from accounting God in some very personal ways. If you're with me, say, oh, yeah. So let's start off with the two public uses of the gift. Number one, here we go. Number one is tongues for interpretation. Tongues for interpretation. I'm going to teach today. I'm not really going to preach. Tongues for interpretation. Basically, this is different from the ninth gift of the Spirit where it talks about the interpretation part because the interpretation part has to do with the hearing and the delivering. The tongues for interpretation has to do with the speaking part. They go hand in hand. They work together. Okay, so watch this verse. 1 Corinthians 14, 5. 1 Corinthians 14, 5. He says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. Who wrote that? The Holy Spirit. All right, here we go. Just to let you know. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies, watch this, he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. A lot of people get hung up right there. But what it's talking about is, is those who speak in the private form of tongues, as you'll see in a moment, they edify the person that's praying in the spirit or praying in tongues, whereas prophecy edifies or builds up the body or the congregation. But watch this next word. It says, he who speaks with tongues, unless, somebody say unless. Come on, say it like you mean it, say unless. It says, he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets. Get that, unless indeed he interprets. And that turns this private tongue into a public form or public operation of this gift. And then it says what? It says, that the church or that the congregation may receive edification, that they may be built up. So watch this. The Bible says, if you keep reading, once this happens, which someone gives a tongue and someone interprets and delivers it to the body and puts it on the same level of prophecy to the church. Now, if you don't know what prophecy means, it basically means, in fact, I'll just back up. The word prophet means one who lends his voice to another. So basically, it's one who submits itself to the voice or the authority of God and God speaks to them. And then they stand in the basically as the as the deliverer of the gap right there. And they just begin to speak forth basically what God has said to his people. OK, very active gift in the church today. Very active. Let's look here. First Corinthians fourteen twenty seven to twenty eight. It says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, he's talking about the public form of it, let them be, let there be two or at the most three each in turn and let one interpret. In other words, he's saying, once again, Paul is dealing with the order of the church of what needs to happen with this gift, okay? And so he's saying basically, look, don't do any more than two or three and let's make sure somebody interprets it, okay? And then he says this, but if there is no interpreter, meaning that no one has that ninth gift, it says let him keep silent. In other words, the person speaking in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. All right. In other words, let him use it basically for the private form and not the public form. Now, let me let me clarify something here. And I've definitely heard it since I've been here, okay, from people and they take that that scripture and they say, basically, well, he says you can't speak in tongues in church. It didn't say that. We can't put words in God's mouth. He just basically said in this, he said, let him talk to himself and to God, meaning this. Don't be shouting it from the rooftops, becoming basically a distraction and bring confusion to the church body. And that's what happens when someone can get super exuberant and they can let it rip. 
Then everybody takes their eyes off what's happening. They do this. That's what he's saying don't do. Basically, let him, let him handle business with you and God. And once again, it doesn't mean that he's got to shh and got to stuff it. He can still talk to God, right? It's the prayer language that you've got. Amen? All right, so let's look at how this tongue operates, okay? So a tongue for interpretation happens when a message in tongues, this kind of description of it, a message in tongues is given in a church service. Now, let me pause there, okay? And you've witnessed it here, but typically it's delivered with an authority and a strong anointing. And typically it is, it is coming uh, kind of, it will come loud. And that's kind of for two reasons, okay? Everybody, once again, we're teaching today. The reason it comes loud is because there's a common theme in any person I've ever met that's been using this gift is because they feel like they're like a volcano and they're about to explode. In other words, the anointing and the presence of God comes on so strong, they're like, man, I have to release this. But there's also a, a practical reason in the why it's loud is because it has to get everybody's attention. Are you following me? Because what happens is, is when they release it loud, it gets everybody's attention in the congregation and allows that moment for everybody to kind of posture their hearts to hear a message that will follow. So in other words, when someone gets up and they prophesy, excuse me, excuse me, I got something to say. Everybody listen, please. And then they go with, with tongues. That is the attentional moment where God grabs. And I know it's easier to say, well, why doesn't God just use prophecy? Why has he got to use that weird stuff? Well, the bottom line is, is basically it's God's way of that gift still operating in the assembly. In other words, that there's still a use of that gift. Now, let's keep reading here. It says, a tongue for interpretation happens when a message in tongues is given in a church service. And someone, once again, it's either the same person or someone else, supernaturally receives the interpretation. Somebody say interpretation. It doesn't say translation. It doesn't say the gift of translation. It says the gift of interpretation. Translation basically is this. It's, it's a word for word. Boom, 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 boom. In other words, if I said in English, Kentucky Fried Chicken has the best chicken on the planet. Lie. Okay? <laughs> and then somebody says in Spanish, Rachel, over there, four years of Spanish, lets her rip of what I just said word for word. Right? Kentucky Fried Chicken has the best chicken. Lie. Right? Okay. All right. That would have been my grandmother. All right. Anyway, so here's the thing. What it does, though, is when the interpretation comes, all the saying is it's grabbing the heart and the intent of what God or the Holy Spirit's really trying to speak to the church. Okay? So once again, supernatural sees the interpretation of the message that the Holy Spirit wants to speak to the congregation, and they speak it out in a language that everyone understands. All right. So let me kind of address something here, and I'm taking a little bit more time on this one than I will some of the other ones. Some people struggle when the same person that gives the tongue is the same one that interprets it. And uh, they wrestle with that. But I want to show you that God doesn't really uh, have a problem with it. Look at 1 Corinthians 14, 13. It says, Therefore, let him who speaks in a, and I'm going to add, public tongue, pray that he may interpret. You get that? Let him who speaks, let him pray that he may also interpret. And basically I found this, that, that God doesn't have a problem. It really boils down to uh, a matter of trust on our end. And the way that you can measure that, because obviously we're called to test what is spoken, is does it line up with a word? Is there a, a witness that bears? In fact, there a few weeks ago we had, a, we had a tongue interpretation in our church, and the first question I asked you guys is I said, who is that for? And about 20 hands went up. And the reason I did that is not so I could somehow know that it was from God. I wanted you to see that it was from God. That people raised their hand and said, yeah, God was talking to me. So you can see the accuracy of that word. Amen? Let me give you uh, a few examples. And with every one of these today, I'm going to give you some examples. And I've intentionally have done it in a certain way. There's only two that I'm going to share today. Maybe just one of an individual that I actually do not know. But I intentionally got these in two ways. Either I know the person personally or I know someone that knows them so we could verify in a way of the credibility of that individual. Okay, in other words, we just didn't run and read this in a book and go, wow, that was awesome. It's, it's actually either they, the people were there or they know the person really well and have seen uh, basically the gifts flow in that person's life and accuracy before. Okay, so let me give you the first one here when we're talking about tongues interpretation. Basically, I know an evangelist. He was pretty much he was preparing to preach in this church. He was in the city. He was really wrestling with what he was going to preach. And he was really going, God, is this you? God, is this you? 
And he's even comes to the church. And he's still wrestling. And he's in worship. He's worshiping the whole time. God, is this really you? And then basically at the end of worship, somebody stands up and they give a tongue. Someone interprets. And it's the exact message that God had put on his heart. Now, so that did two things. It not only uh, confirmed to the individual that I know that that was indeed God speaking to them, but it also prepared the congregation heart to prepare what this guy was about to deliver. I have personally had that happen to me in this. When I was getting ready my last Sunday with Pastor Tommy in Lafayette, Louisiana, you guys that have moved, you know, there's a lot of work when you move. So uh, after church on Sunday morning, I was scheduled to preach Sunday night. You know, I, I've been basically hustling for days, getting everything ready. You know, you got you haul in. You better have everything ready to rock and roll. And so we spent the whole afternoon uh, loading this U-Haul, getting ready for a move. And then I got to go preach. I remember showing up preaching. I didn't even, I had shoes on that, like, didn't even work with my outfit. I had, like, some Jesus sandals on. And, I, I mean, it was it was rough And because uh, I couldn't find my shoes. They were in the U-Haul. But anyways, I remember showing up and thinking because I felt so unprepared. I felt like I heard from God, but I felt like I was so unprepared of how I normally do. I was really unsure. In fact, I was like, man, I hope something happens so I don't have to preach. <laughs> Love those days. And uh, and then someone, and I cannot remember, is either a prophecy or a tongue and interpretation. They gave it, and I'm sitting there going, that's exactly what I'm about to preach. I mean, it was like, boom, 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 same theme. And what was so awesome, I'm like, who is that guy? It was a guy who's first time ever in the church, never been there before. And, and he stands up and rattles off this uh, prophecy or this tongue interpretation. And once again, what did it do for me? It gave me confirmation of what I was about to preach, but once again, also prepared the people's hearts for what was about to happen. Amen. All right, so let me give you an example, and this is kind of a combination of the two public gifts, and we'll explain in a second, but Lester Summerall, some of you guys have heard me use that name. We, I know people that knew him, and uh, one guy that actually worked for him for a while, but Lester Summerall, he was preaching in Washington, D.C. one time, and after his sermon, someone stood up, gave a message in tongues, someone interpreted it. Here's what's so awesome. A young man basically walked to the front and he began to speak in a foreign language to the person who gave the tongues. And the man who gave the message in tongues, he said, I'm sorry, sir, but I don't understand any other language. And then the other man replied in English this time, the foreigner. He said, but you spoke my language beautifully. He said, I am Persian. He said, you spoke my language and told me that I must get right with God, that I must find God right now. And the man that delivered the message said, no, it was the spirit who spoke to you. It was God talking to you, not me. And then it says, um, basically, the lesson will say, uh, much to the young man's surprise, neither two men, the one who gave the message or the one who interpreted it, spoke, and, uh, spoke or understood his language, that the guy stood there trembling and he knelt down and gave his heart to Jesus. How awesome is that, Right. So let me give you the second one here. Okay, the first one's tongues for interpretation. The second one is this. It's tongues for the unbeliever. This one's fun. Tongues for the unbeliever. So let me show you in 1 Corinthians 14, 22. It says, therefore, tongues are a what? Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to the unbelievers. Now, to give you a kind of how this one operates, we'll throw it up there. Tongues for the unbelievers occurs when the Holy Spirit surpasses the intellect and all language barriers by empowering a believer to preach, teach, or testify about Christ in some language of men of which the believer himself, in other words, the one speaking, has no prior knowledge of. And make that a little bit more simple. Basically, the fellow that's speaking or the gal that's speaking, they don't, get the, they don't know the language. The person on the receiving end, the hearing end, they know the language very well. Uh, this is what we see in Acts chapter 2 as well, on the day of Pentecost, where they heard them basically giving praises to God in their own language. Let me give you a few examples. There's a guy, once again, that I'm really close to some people that is close to this guy. He was in San Jose, and he was on a Christian talk show. And in the middle of the Christian talk show, uh, the host asked him, he said, what's the one thing that's changed your life more than anything? And the guy, his name is Dave, he gave a response and he said uh, basically that he had an encounter with the love of God and the love of God basically wrecked him. And as he said that, he felt basically the, the spirit of God well up inside him with the urge to pray in tongues. And he said, basically, I could have capped it, but I was about to explode. And I just, out of obedience, 
he, he let it go and he started speaking in tongues. In the middle of speaking in tongues, he said, uh-oh, this, this, uh, basically this company is half owned by secular people. I don't even know if this is allowed. And he said he kind of like looked at the host and he's rattling. The host basically didn't indicate that he was going to stop him at all. So he just kind of let it go and he said, he said basically, well, you know, God, you're not going to leave me hanging. I'll just obey and maybe God will give me the interpretation. He finished and no interpretation came. And he was like, oh no. God, don't leave me like this. And he said basically that the host just kind of, they all just kind of ignored it and they moved on. And he's like, oh, no. And so here's what happened. Though. The show ends and a woman runs up to him. And they obviously had a prayer line, hotline. A woman runs up to him with a strong German accent. And she goes, uh, brother, brother, do you know what happened? He said, I have no clue. She said, you were speaking basically perfect ancient German. She said, did you not know that? He said, ma'am, I can hardly speak English. <laughs> and and uh, she began to talk about how a woman, there's a German community that's there in Sacramento that was watching the, the TV show. A woman called in and they sent her to her because she was the only one that could translate German. And the woman told her that as she was sitting there watching the show, that he began to speak in her language, basically exactly uh, what was wrong with her. And she had this disease and she was dying. And here's what she needed to, be, to, needed to do to be healed. The woman fell out under the power of God. Jesus healed her. Pretty good day, right? And she called basically to give testi- testimony of that. Now, let, me give you, let me give you another one. This is another, one of the people that I, that I don't know because they... Were alive basically. They, they died middle 1900s. But there was a woman named Mariah Woodworth Etter, Grandma Etter is what they called her, and uh, she pastored a church called the Tabernacle in Indiana. They talk about pretty much how them as a church they expected the miracles of God and the signs of wonders as much as they expected someone to pray the doxology at the end of service. In other words, it was a, it was a culture of signs and wonders. So basically, in that community, some people, two Pentecostal ladies, went to a house where some Romanians lived because there was a young boy there. He was dying of tuberculosis, and they laid hands on the kid and prayed for him, and God healed him. And the only thing they knew is that they they came from a Pentecostal church. They said, well, let's go find one. And so the dad was the only one that spoke English. Everybody else spoke uh, Romanian. And so they show up at this church, and and a woman who had been healed of cancer not too long before that stood up, and she gave a tongue for 28 minutes. That's a long time. Right. Twenty. As a really that's like sitcom worthy. Right. So so get, get 28 minutes. Let it rip. And some of the people were wondering why Mariah Woolworth Edder didn't stop her until next week. They found out from that Romanian family that they heard the gospel message for 28 minutes in their native language. Tongues for the unbeliever. Are you following me? Let me give you another example. Hopefully I'm not boring you here. Our old pastor in, in uh, North Carolina, he was preaching at a full gospel businessman meeting. And basically that came big, I don't know, what, 20, 30 years ago, something like that. And he was preaching in one of those meetings. And no, he might have just been there. But so anyways, he was there. There was a, the guy that ran it uh, invited this Jewish guy to come. And obviously the Jewish guy was a Jew, he wasn't a believer. But he said, look, hey man, it's a Christian meeting. He goes, I, you know, the Christians love Israel, so I'll come. And I don't know if the guy thought he was going to come and he was going to maybe make some deals or whatever. But in the middle of that, of after the preaching was done, there was a farmer who had overalls on, stood up and began to speak in tongues. And as they begin to speak in tongues, this man, this Jewish man, runs from the back of the room and basically dive bombs in the altar and gets right with God. And they're like, okay, once again, not a believer, he gets saved. But here's what happened. That farmer who did not know the Hebrew language, he's a farmer, y'all. Stood up and let it rip in Hebrew that the guy, the Jew, actually knew. And he basically said this. Here's your name. Here's the woman you were with last night. You committed adultery and you better get right with me. Holy smokes. Right? (laughs) So uh, that's the whole thing. You can run, but you can't hide. Right? Anyway, so. So, but the guy, God, I mean, called out of sin. The guy got born again. That's tongues for the unbeliever. Let me give you another one. I was talking to Leah the other day and talking about a friend with Brian and Leah that back in, in Bible college, Pastor Brian. Basically, this guy would go to the, the harbor down in Baltimore. He would basically preach the gospel. They'd hand out tracts to people as they got off the boat. Once again, it's, it's sharing the gospel with the whole world right there, right? Because they're all coming to that port. And one day he was actually on a ship 
And while he was on the ship, there was a urge to once again speak in tongues. The guy began to speak in tongues, and he basically shared the gospel message with this guy because the guy started responding back to him in his language. It was Spanish. The guy didn't know Spanish, and they led the guy to Christ. How awesome is that, right? So listen, that one right there, I could give you, we're going all day. But listen, that is the love of God in action. That where he says, you know what, if there's a willing vessel that's willing to believe that I'll get out of that pretty little Christian box and I can speak to somebody, if they're willing to submit, I'll do it. Amen? Amen. Let's move to the private uses. Thanks for hanging in there with me. Number three, we're going to talk about, for time's sake, we'll talk about this more next week. And In fact, let me go ahead and say, next week we're going to pray for people. And so I'm just going to ask you guys, man, just spend maybe a day or two, maybe three, whatever this week, and just fast and pray. And let's believe that God's going to show up next week. and He's going to baptize people in the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's not going to be freaky. It's not going to be weird. It's really simple. It's a good gift from the Father. But we're going to pray with people. So if you don't mind, maybe join me, Jen, and some leadership here. And let's just pray and let's believe God's going to come next week. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So number three, here we go. We're going to the private uses. Number three is tongues for personal edification. Tongues for personal edification. We throw up on the screen here the explanation here. This tongue is the supernatural prayer language that every believer receives at the moment they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Once again, it's the evidence, what we saw in the book of Acts. Now, it's important for, I guess, for us to say this, that the difference between the first two and this one and even the last one is is all the other ones, it's really as the Spirit wills. But with this one, it's a language that God downloads inside of you. And you literally have the ability, like you do, to flip on a light switch, turn it off. You can speak in this language at any moment. And once again, you'll see why in a minute. You can pray, once again, at any time and as long as you want to, okay? First two, once again, it says Spirit wills. All right, so let's talk about this real quick. What happens when we pray in our heavenly prayer language? First Corinthians 14.4. 1 Corinthians 14.4, you're going to find out that when you, look, when you look at Corinthians 14, it interweaves in between public and private uses. And once again, where people have confused it, but if you follow the, the context there, it's pretty simple to see. So watch this, 14.4, says, he who speaks in a, and I'm going to add there, a private tongue, edifies who? Himself, okay? Greek scholars uh, basically say that we have a modern word that better depicts or better translates the word edify than edify, and it's the word charge. And it's almost like charge in the way that you would charge a battery. And I know that's almost like sounds so goofy and so simple. But, but really what it's saying is, is that when you, when you pray in the spirit or when you pray in tongues, once again, this is a private use, private prayer time. It, you you got to notice, once again, it, it's not for a physical strengthening, but it's for a spiritual strengthening or spiritual building up. All right, Jude 20, watch this. It, it gives us a verse that points to that. It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So building yourselves up or charging yourselves up once again. So watch this. Here's the main thing I want to talk about today from this one point. This means that God himself is putting in our hands that he is letting us be the stewards of our own edification. So the more I pray, the more I'm built up. The less I pray, the less I'm built up. Once again, he, put, he puts the gift in your hands and in your heart and your life and says, you know what, it's up to you how much you want to use it. I know me personally, I can tell the dramatic difference when I spend a lot of time praying in the Spirit in my own life. And in the sense of this, certain temptations don't catch me as easy. Certain distractions don't catch me as easy. I'm locked in a whole lot more. Uh, the gifts of the Spirit flow in my life a whole lot more. And, and I just feel, honestly, just at peace a whole lot more. And I'll say it to you like this. Get, let's get honest. I'm probably a whole lot nicer when I've been praying in the Spirit a whole lot more because you're less irritated, right? It's when you don't pray, you're just, ah. You know, so for me personally, I'll, I'll say this, that if you're, if you're ever around me in prayer, if you're ever around me in worship, you're going to hear me praying in the Spirit. And the reason is, is because I've learned the power that comes with this gift of building myself up. And once again, I mean, there was a time where I thought, my God, I sound silly. And I, what, what is this? And I remember being 21 years old. I was telling the couple over here that, that I met with yesterday. I remember 
finding out the purposes of what this gift is for. I was baptized in the Spirit a few years before I really started understanding what it was for. And I remember one day I said, all right, Quentin, for discipline's sake, for the next way or 45 minutes, next hour, I'm going to do nothing but pray in the Spirit. And I begin to stretch my capacity for praying in the Spirit because what happened before I prayed in the Spirit? And I just kind of go flatline, okay. Let's kind of move on to the next thing. And what happened was is when I, when I started to stretch myself in that, I started realizing that my ability to recognize when the presence of God walked in the room, I can notice it a whole lot easier. When God spoke, I heard him a lot easier. Am I making sense to you guys? So, so what happens? You know, so once again, some people say, well, that's just meaningless gibberish, whatever. But I want to show you that's not the case. I want to tell you what's happening, actually. In 1 Corinthians 14, 2, it says this. It says, for he who speaks, once again, I'm going to add, in a private tongue, does not speak to men but to God. So we know it has to be private use and not public because he's not speaking to man, speaking to God. It says, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. When you look up that word mysteries in the Greek language, it actually means this, that he speaks divine secrets, that he speaks hidden purposes. And it actually means this, that he speaks the hidden will of God. Now, understand this, that when the Holy Spirit prays through you, what's happening is, is you're actually speaking out the perfect will of God for your own life. How awesome is that? Who knows the will of God better than the one who wrote it? Amen. So allow him to pray through you. Man, that's good. I'll say it like this. That guy that I told you a while ago that was on the talk show spoke in German. i got to hustle up here. He came from a denomination that said, basically, you got to almost wait till you explode and the Holy Spirit comes on you and then you release it. He, he, he didn't come from a, a denomination that taught that you can pray in the Spirit any time that God downloads this language. But what happened one day is he decided that he could. And so, in fact, here's, here's what happened. I'll, here, I'll give you the full thing. I wasn't planning on saying this. But one morning he woke up. And he was in a really legalistic denomination, and he woke up one morning, and when he woke up, he woke up into an open vision. And he saw a couple, uh, it was actually a young lady, that was leading worship, and it was just like an unbelievable service. And he was sitting, I think, on the second row, and as worship was going on, he knew, man, this is my meeting. I'm supposed to lead this meeting. And he saw that there were some people in wheelchairs. He knew, man, God's going to heal them. And in the middle of that, basically, that ended, and someone came out and introduced a speaker, and they introduced someone else. Actually, it was a guy leading worship. They introduced a woman to come and preach. That's what it was. And he stood up, and, and basically, because he thought they were about to call his name, they called the other person. He sat down, and he woke up from that vision. And at that moment, he said, sink or swim, basically dressed the kids in gummy sacks, whatever. We're, I'm going to preach the gospel. We gotta go. And he shook his wife, his wife's Rosalita, we're gonna preach the gospel. And he answered the call, but here's what he said. He said, if I could work for the sawmill for eight hours a day, then I can work for God eight hours a day. I'm gonna pray. So, once again, he said he got in there and he prayed for every missionary he knew and everything he could think to pray for, and in 15 minutes he was done. And he's like, okay, uh, there's a lot more time to go. And that's where the point where he decided, I'm just going to start praying in tongues. And so he began to pray in tongues for eight hours a day. This went for weeks. And then somebody asked him, hey, brother, do you want to come to this Bible study we're having at this church? And he said, I would do anything to get out of that closet. <laughs> so he, he agreed to go to it. And he said he went. And the guy that was speaking talked about Jesus being the great celestial go-between. Okay, whatever that means, right? And so, I mean, I get it. But... But he said he literally sat there in it with his cup and he started doing this cup of coffee and started watching the rings in there to basically to entertain himself. It was that boring of what the meeting he was in. And he said in the middle of that, he turned and looked at the woman next to him and he hadn't really paid attention to her because he was kind of late coming in. He looked and saw her leg and he saw it as an x-ray and he saw that she had arthritis in her leg. And he said, ma'am, do you have arthritis in your leg? She says, I sure do. And he goes, well, do you mind if I pray for you? The meeting is going on. Do you mind if I pray for you? And once again, we've all been in those churches, or some of us have, where when it means I'll pray for you, it means somewhere in the course of my day, I will pray for you. But that brother, man, I'm going to pray for you now. Okay? And so he basically hopped down, and he grabbed her leg, and, he, and basically her legs went up, and he knows one of the legs was shorter than the other one. He said, uh-oh. It literally freaked him out. He said he closed his eyes and just gave the best ultra-Pentecostal prayer he could give. And he was screaming and hollering while the guy's teaching, right? And, and he watched that leg grow. 
And the woman jumped up and she started basically, and at that time it was so funny, the guy speaking said, God doesn't do miracles anymore. And she hopped up and said basically, Sonny, you want to bet? And started waving her cane at everybody because God just healed her. But listen, but it was through that, it was through the praying in the spirit for all those hours that opened his eyes to see. I mean, the guy's got an unbelievable uh, gift of healing on his life. But it was that, that, that basically was the gateway to it. All right, I got to hustle. Number four, you guys all right? All right, number four, tongues for intercession. So first one was tongues for interpretation. Second one was tongues for unbeliever. Third one was tongues for uh, personal edification. Fourth one is tongues for intercession. Look at Romans 8.26 up on the screen. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness. Weaknesses. It says, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Anybody ever been there? When you don't have a clue what you should pray. Okay? And then it says, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us. Actually, the original Greek doesn't have the words for us in it. It should read, but the Spirit himself makes intercession with groanings which cannot be uttered. So here's the explanation for that. This gift happens when a spiritual believer is prompted by the Holy Spirit to pray in the Spirit or in tongues. The believer may not know what or whom they are praying for, but there's a strong urgency to pray and to pray now. And so basically, and as they pray in tongues, what happens is they actually stand in the gap for themselves. They stand in the gaps for their families, their church, their city, their nature, someone they don't know. Let me give you a quick example of this and we'll be done. The guy that I told you earlier, the evangelist, that basically was wrestling with what he was going to preach. When he was in college, he led one of his college friends to the Lord and then prayed for him and she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That night that she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the Lord woke her up in the middle of the night and told her to pray in the Spirit and pray now. And she began to pray in the Spirit, and she don't think she knew was she was praying for an, an elderly man. That's all she knew. She prayed for 45 minutes in tongues, and then she said she felt a release, and she quit praying. Fifteen minutes later, uh, her sweetmate, her roommate, got a call that her grandfather had a massive heart attack, but he supernaturally recovered. That's who she was interceding for, who she stood in the gap. There's been times, and some of you guys in here that are spirit-filled, you know what I'm talking about. There's times where you're praying, and, and you're locked in, and something happens, and you shift, and you know you go to another gear. What happens is, is you go into tongues for intercession, and you're praying for somebody. You're standing in the gap. Quick example. Another person I don't know, but there was a missionary to Tibet. He was, see if I can make this fast. Previous encounter, he had met the Dalai Lama. Obviously, those people don't like Christians. And he ended up being in a, being in a captured and in a, and basically a, a tent of a man that hated Christianity. He was one of the leaders in the nation under Dalai Lama. And as he is there, him and two of his other guys, uh, that were Tibet, uh, Tibetans or they were natives, they were on their tongue, uh, on their tongues, on their knees, and, uh, they were about to kill him. Well, while they were about to kill him, the Lord woke up a woman in Seattle, Washington, and told her to pray and pray now. As she gave her vision, she saw the picture, basically, of what was going on. The Lord said, pray for them now. She said, Lord, who is that? He said, it's Victor Plymeyer. He was a basic missionary that came to your church X amount of time ago. Pray. He's in great danger. And she began to pray. And as she is praying, as she's interceding, standing in the gap, once again, not knowing what to pray, because she don't know what's going on, she just prays in the Spirit. Uh, a, a person that was sent from Dalai Lama ran to basically the tent that they were in with a message from Dalai Lama that said, if you touch him, I will kill you. Pretty crazy, huh? So needless to say, that guy for his own life said, okay, Dalai Lama can have him, and it saved the missionary. Now, here's what's awesome about the story. Months later, Victor Plymeyer received a picture and a letter from the woman. It says, basically, I don't know what happened, but this is what I saw, and this one's supposed to pray for. And Victor Plymeyer said this. He said, if I would have taken a photograph of what was happening, it couldn't have been depicted any better. Down to the color of the robes, the color of the sashes, everything that they had, she had the color. She had the, everything in the hut or the, uh, the tent correct. Who showed her that? It was God. And you've got to understand today, folks, God's alive. Right. And so there's that side of us, man, I, I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to a church or be in a church that we talk about the Bible, but we never see the Bible in action. Amen. Yes. I mean, li- listen, it, it's something's wrong when we're more passionate about the Patriots than we are about Jesus. Yes. Yes. But the reason. But you know why people are more passionate about the Patriots? Because they've had more of an encounter with the Patriots than they've had with Jesus. 
But when you start having encounters with Jesus, guess what? You get a whole lot more excited about him than Tom Brady. I mean, he's good looking, but he ain't that good looking. Right? Are y'all feeling me? So, so listen, so part of this is, let me end with this. You guys can stand up. You're good. I, I've, I've held you way too long. Let those bones pop. <laughs> Once again, I want to do a full circle in this. Okay? I want to do a full circle. Don't worry, Vicky. This isn't going to last 15 minutes. We'll go quick. Full circle. I know a lot of this is really new to a lot of you guys. But once again, I'm encouraging you to go pray and say, God, I don't want to take that man at his word. I want to take you at your word. Show me if it's real. And, and I just have a simple confidence that God can show you. Really simple. So let's do this. Let's, uh, let's put our hands in the air, if you don't mind. Just an act of surrender. Act of worship. Let's say this. Say, Father. Show me what I need to see. Lord, let me have a hunger and a passion for what you want to do in my life in this season. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to break any box, any false teaching, any lies that I've ever grabbed a hold of. I ask that your word will come alive in me. I give you permission to open my eyes to see what I need to see. Amen. Father, I thank you for your people today. I thank you, God, for their hearts to hunger and long for you. Father, thank you for just meeting them even throughout the next week, God, as we prepare our hearts for next weekend. Lord, I pray, God, that you would begin to prepare us, God, to receive from you. And, uh, Lord, truth is, is you don't even have to wait till next weekend. So, Lord, whatever you want to do in our lives, Lord, we give you permission to do it. Jesus, we bless you and we honor you.